art, creativity, any kind of action that takes us out of that um, pushing business as usual need to try and control reality and 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 almost try and like know what reality is. Um, art is the medicine that actually allows us to metabolize charge. Um, it allows us to metabolize trauma. It takes takes that that intensity that's left in the system. And, you know, and this goes all the way back to ritual. I mean, art for me is, is sort of a, a tributary coming off from ritual that is still sort of consensually allowed in this reality when the direct communication with nature through ritual was, was silenced. Um, so it's still, it comes back to that wider river. Okay. Another episode of the Content Podcast. I'm with Shanti Sojourn Zenith, who I've never met before, but whose work I've read. And uh, I wanted to have her as a guest because I was impressed by her writing and all the more so when I just read her website and the things she's doing around ecological grief, which is one of the topics of the season two of the Content Podcast. So welcome, Shanti, to the, uh, to the program. Thank you. Uh, we'll start just by, you know, I'll, I'll put a link to your website, but if you want to just give us a, a short introduction of who you are and, you know, where, where you came from and, and what you do. Okay. I think I'd um, just like to start um, just by grounding for a minute um, and just naming. <sighs> um, I'm on um, Dakota and Anishinaabe land in Minnesota, Makoche, um, and yeah, and just kind of a, a practice that I'm really working on is um, moving from a place of support from the earth and from the ancestors. I I think the, the thread for me really started around this longing for aliveness and presence. Um, I, I was really, I was drawn into um, work in the theater um, in the beginning. And at least so much of what I'm working on right now is this like speaking from this deeper layer um, and really finding what the, what the words are. And so part of like talking about myself and my story, I feel like my identity has shifted a lot in the process. I have always been someone who listens and tries to tune in to the levels of aliveness and emotion um, that are under the surface. And so that's, that's taken a lot of forms. Um, it like drew me really deeply into to work around performance and storytelling and voice um, and trying to track the places in this culture where that potency is still alive um, and then sort of following these like deep threads of emotion, um, to try and understand like what they meant. And so it, 
as the layers have peeled away, it gets closer to animism and ritual and the sense of the world being alive, the sense of yeah, every being having agency. Um, and as a human, how to actually be in attunement with that and, and follow that very closely. So um, I went from like an arts background, very kind of facing out into performance and um, to really kind of noticing that the center of that for me was about tracking energy and tracking this, this dynamic that happens when, when an artist tunes into this deeper place and suddenly becomes a vessel um, and something flows through that's bigger. And then as, as audiences, as people taking that in, that those waves of attunement where people synchronize and there's like a, there's a harmonic that starts to happen that ripples out. Um, and so that kind of tracing that longing led me into grief work. Um, and just being there with just the, the kind of the rawness of emotion. Um, so I, um, did some training and exploring around grief ritual and held some circles. And then there was kind of a, a disintegration of that where I started to realize that there was an even deeper layer around how bodies in disconnected culture carry trauma, carry ancestral trauma and how the, the ways that, um, especially like European lineage people, people coming like from a very long time of disconnection, um, the ways that I have known my body to kind of become dissociated or not understand sort of the, the organic textures of how to move through emotion um, and the circles that I was holding, I would, I would feel that there was like, you know, there'd be this sort of peak of intensity you know, as people got to, got to grieve and got to express and it was really beautiful. But then it would also be, you'd go back to daily life and it would, it would dissipate. Um, and so my inquiry has gotten closer and closer to really understanding, um, tracing that aliveness and that presence and that ability to tune into the wider earth body um, as a way to continually be metabolizing the charge and the emotion that comes up. Uh, I hear you on that. And I wanted to also uh, acknowledge that uh, I'm in the Algonquin Anishinaabe territory, unceded territory here in Ottawa. Um, I don't say it every time, but I say it on my website. And it's something that also grounds me in the history of this place, of the Ottawa River and um, the, the very long history of Indigenous people, pre-colonization. Um, that's important. Uh, well, I, I hear you, you know, the, the, the idea of being a listener is something that I try to do as well in my Zen practice and as a soundscape artist and that. But it's sometimes we pretend we listen <laughs> because it's a little trendy, right? But to actually listen, to open yourself up to, to what's really going on it is really an art form because you're just opening to everything and you, you're, you're both the receiver and the giver of art and, and the notion of art. But 
I, I wanted to get into a bit the, the article you wrote, which uh, was for um, Dark Matter magazine, which I think is a feminist publication out of Montreal. Uh, it's called Fruiting Bodies, Collapse as Medicine, Liminal Portals, Mycelial Entanglements. Uh, and the part that really got me is when you talked about collapse, right? I just started, this was a, a long time ago, a long time ago, year ago, <laughs> uh, Jen Bendel's work and 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 that. But you're, you really kind of put your finger on it that maybe, and I'll just quote that sentence you wrote, and you can maybe tell me a bit more about it. Within this culture, we fear experiences of disintegration, breakdown and collapse. But what if the collapse is also part of the medicine? There are openings and cracks in these times of breakdowns, op- windows into other worlds. Um, that's, I find that very interesting. Could you tell me more about that? Um, one of the things I've been tracking really closely in my work around embodiment and the nervous system um, is the sense of um, this pattern that shows up um, in all these different ways. Um, Dr. Teresa Matthias calls it the peak valley recovery pattern. Um, whereas, you know, you can kind of see it in nervous systems with a, you know, like a fight flight expansive response and then a contraction into freeze and immobilization. And that this pattern, this wave pattern kind of underlies everything about life. Um, and so that, um, in a culture where we are continually in expansion mode, we're constantly seeking the peak. um, we're lacking very subtle dynamics. And so there's a tendency to go from peak to the kind of the deepest valley. Um, and what I, what I've really been tracking is the way that in this, um, I'm still trying to find like what the word is for it, but it's it, it, this culture, which is thousands of years in the making this, this kind of cultural nervous system, where the individuals within it do not have the support developmentally um, to learn how to actually be alive in a way, um, to learn how to move through these nervous system patterns because they don't have the modeling um, of, of resourced, mature adults around. And that's been passed down and passed down. Um, and so the it's almost like the culture over hundreds, potentially thousands of years of not having each individual body be aware of that, um, the subtlety of that wave. The culture is now this giant wave that's just rising, trying to peak and continue to go up. And so then there's this, this fear of collapse, but also this knowledge, um, I mean, just kind of an individual life, you know, you like people talking about burnout. Um, there's this tendency we have because the culture is built on a threat response um, to to push until there's a complete collapse and complete disintegration. Um, and so there's for me where I'm going. When I wrote the essay, I think I was I was sort of just starting to kind of get a sense of it. Um, definitely in my own life, as I've kind of there really is something that happens I think when you're forced to stop you know through health through emotion um through loss that then it's like it all kind of comes 
it, it catches up everything that has been run away from. Um, and so a lot of that, that pattern then, um, for me, it's about actually kind of in, in, in healthy systems and healthy organisms, there's actually a much more subtle wave. So it's not this giant peak and then giant crash, but it's, you know, these smaller ripples. Um, and so as we're looking at collapse, I don't think that culturally we have an image of that, of what it looks like to actually tune into this, this more subtle space in between. It's like either complete acceleration or complete stop. Okay, here's a story. Once upon a time, I think it was during the fall of 2019, I was at a meeting about how the arts and cultural sector, and in particular the indigenous traditional knowledge community, could play a much larger role in the fight against climate change. The representative from an indigenous cultural organization took my breath away when he said, that it would likely take as long to resolve the ecological crisis as it did to create it. Now, I played this back in my mind. Take as long to resolve the ecological crisis as it did or as it does to create it. How is this possible? And then I said, but we don't have that kind of time. Or do we? We all looked at each other in silence. I'll never forget that moment. Crash and burn kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, it's... It's fascinating because it's not something that we talk about very much, you know, these uh, peaks of, we just take what's for granted, what normal is, and and what, and what normal is, is terrifying right now, right? Because we're, we're you know, the metaphor of, a, of a, a plane about to, or a car about to go off the cliff, you know, we've already fell off, fallen off the cliff, and we're falling so rapidly down to, towards crashing that we're, we're not even aware. It's like... Uh, um, we're, we're, we're already, that we've already <laughs> anticipated our death by, by our behavior. But, but so I'm, so what you're saying makes sense to me, uh, at least partially because it's, it's so new, but it's just a kind of feeling, um, like a, an approach that we, we need to consider, you know, you don't necessarily have to go all, all in, in your theory, but you really, people should listen to, to this way of, of approaching the world because it, it's, it's very kind of organic and I can feel, uh, the logic. Um, I ask all of my guests, you know, about the notion of reality. Uh, so I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. You know, you've listened to the, the program E19 Reality. What came up when you listened to that? Or what are your thoughts about the, that idea of reality? You've already talked about Echo Grief. You can talk some more if you'd like. So I think it, um, I'm also, a metaphor that is interesting to me is the sort of right brain, left brain um, the hemispheres of the brain and how they perceive differently, um, which is um, 
feels like it, it has a, a lot to do with reality because these the the form of perception that humans have when they're in a threat response is so is incredibly different than the form of perception we have when there is a sense of support a sense of the capacity to slow down and take in the present moment and not be in danger um and so I have this visceral sense that reality in the dominant paradigm, I, I talk in my essay about, about this, this image of this acorn mm-hmm. and that um, it's like the sense of self has solidified into this very small contracted core that has this protective armoring around it. Um, and my perception is is of people moving through the world kind of protecting like these very raw tender parts of themselves that haven't had the space or support to start to expand and emerge and entangle um and so reality itself becomes so shrunken um and so kind of condensed and solidified um, in a way where where the possibilities become so limited, imagination does not exist. Um, and all of the ways of being a part of a larger system um, of energy and intelligence are cut off because there's this sense of the separate self. Which is essentially what Buddhism tries to encourage that that harmonization or that recognition that you are not that other being that you are awareness itself or that kind of thing um well thanks for that it's it's uh i i'm wondering you you talked about uh or i i read about your earth grief project maybe talk a bit about your art practice and, and maybe that specific project uh, earth grief and and how that how that works in terms of your relationship to audiences and, and you can talk more broadly also about the role of the arts, but maybe through that piece. That project actually kind of, it sort of came back, pulled back in. So it's not really in the world anymore. Um, okay. Cause I, I, so much of this has been about kind of recalibrating to like, what is actually my core. Um, and so the, the, And also to really try and understand through my own body what I'm working with so that then when I kind of move back into the world to be cross-pollinating with other people, there's a sense that I'm actually, I'm embodying what I know. Um, so the the Earth Grief Project was kind of, it was almost like a, um, there's a word adumbration, which is like a future echo of something. Um, in fact, that was actually where the acorn started. I one of my um, my backgrounds is in clowning, um, and this this connection to play. And I was curious about how to how to begin to talk about climate grief and the conditions of the culture through play, and in a way that was um, kind of like that Charles Eisenstein quote. Um, in the reality episode that there's a way that poetry and story can get through the armor 
um, and and take people to different places. And the the core of the work right now is this connection to the long body. Um, this this concept, which is interesting in itself, it comes um, s- supposedly comes from the the Haudenosaunee people, um, but I haven't been able to trace it back um, to the original source. So I don't really know when this this word, this concept, was transmitted from a Haudenosaunee person to a um, a Western scholar. Um, and there's something kind of interesting about that that invisibilizing and that absence. Um, but I just, I latched onto this word, the long body, um, which I read in an essay by Bio Komolafe, um, as a way of describing the wider system that each of us is embedded in um, and the way that we're not, that, that self-perception that is, that is kind of contained in that armored shell of the acorn, when we can re-embed back into the earth there is this sense of suddenly roots going out and you know this whole mature being of a tree emerging and then underground this entire root system connecting to the forest ecosystem and this this sense of ourselves is embedded in larger and larger systems um, and starting to be able to move from that system as a very different way of having agency in the world that has a lot of different possibilities. Um, so the, that's taken the form of um, kind of playing with this idea of long body of connecting to my, my animal body, to the land that I'm on, and then these different ancestral lineages that carry these different medicines. So I've um, this last year I've been doing a lot of um, kind of channeled writing and, and tuning into these different energies that feel like they kind of flow through me uniquely. Um, and then that became an Oracle deck um, uh, with these kind of this, the, these images and these different messages from those beings. Um, and so I'm really, I'm kind of at an edge in my practice where I think as I'm really starting to feel like I'm, able to be present in my body and be in my integrity because that's been it's been very difficult as a as a young practitioner to kind of feel this pressure to step out and be producing and interacting with people um and be really aware that because of my own history and my developmental trauma and my cultural trauma accessing that kind of that core intelligence and rootedness um, was very difficult. So, so much of my work has been around, you know, how do I, what support do I need and how do I really attune in that deeper way so that then as I'm, as I'm working with people and moving through the world, that, that whole long body of relationship can come with and inform. And more broadly, how do you see the role of the arts? Do you think uh, the arts are, are a way to address an issue as complex as, as the climate emergency? First of all, I want to just go to climate emergency yeah. and talk about that, and then we sure. can go back to the art. For me, the climate emergency 
in a way it has the same function as kind of like an autoimmune disease or a way that the body is reaching this point of being so disconnected from sources of nourishment and the 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 flow and the movement of energy through the system that, that things are starting to break down. Um, there, um, there, there's a piece around even like the notion of climate change as being this like heartbreakingly reductionistic way of looking at things because it, from my perception, I really feel like it starts with the bodies who are living with such a baggage of ancestral trauma that hasn't been metabolized and who are living in such a dissociated state to the point where like the basic things about being alive in the world, like a felt sense perception of your feet on the ground, you know, and like, the support of the, the ground against the back of your legs. Um, like culturally we are so dissociated. Like my, I always, I have a, a difficulty with we, I'm still kind of, you know, dancing with that, but um, we in the sense of my kin who come from lineages of broken culture um, the baseline is so incredibly dissociated from what it means to be a living organism. Um, and so that, that is the climate crisis for me is that the level of dissociation that lives in each individual body. Um, and it's my sense. And I want to, I'll circle back also to that, what you were sharing in the reality episode about the, the, indigenous elder who um, was saying that it will take as long to resolve this. Um, but my, my sense of it is that the medicine, whatever happens, whether it's extinction, whether whatever happens, the, the necessary medicine comes from each organism being supported to further embody and further come into that sense of aliveness and ability to perceive and respond um, from connection with the wider ecosystem that we're a part of. Um, and that for me, that whether there's a climate crisis or not, even if there wasn't a climate crisis, which there kind of, there has to be because of the level of dissociation, but it, it, it feels like a misdirect in a way to put it out there in the, you know, it's like the, the, the large, the, the level of systemic dissociation and the kind of the um, cultural trauma, pain body egregore that is this self-perpetuating machine that is, is creating this destruction. The only way to meet it is, is through the core of each organism and the support of the earth. Zen teacher David Loy. The Buddhist solution to this predicament is not to get rid of the self, because there is no such thing to get rid of. The sense of self needs to be deconstructed, 
forgotten in meditation and reconstructed, replacing the three poisons of greed, ill will, and delusion with generosity, loving kindness, and the wisdom that recognizes our interdependence. Just as there is no self to get rid of, we cannot return to nature because we've never been apart from it. But we can realize our non-duality with it and begin to live in ways that accord with that realization. Well, I've, I've spoken with uh, David Loy, who's a, a Zen teacher in Colorado, about that disassociation with nature, which goes back to the Enlightenment and and be and before that, and you know, and it's interesting to try to pinpoint the origin uh, or the origins of the disassociation. How did we become so disconnected from uh, simple things like breathing and feeling? And uh, and and I'm not an expert by any means, but but people talk to me about that, uh, and and one could speculate for a long time, but it's. I'm personally more interested in where we're at now. <laughs> yes, I want to know how we got here. I, I'm curious to know how we can move on. And, and what I'm hearing from you is that that the when you're connected with your body, when you acknowledge your trauma, when you're able to really be here, you can you can and maybe slowing down a bit because there's this kind of sense of panic that's not very helpful. Yeah. Um, so what about art then? I want to, I promise we'll get to art. I wanted okay, one other thing you said earlier that felt sure. really important, which is the, the roots of this. Um, because it, it, that, that's another one where often I feel like it, um, what people ascribe blame to is already a symptom. Um, and my sense of the roots of the dissociation, um, come from cultural systems where for whatever reason, the level of trauma that a group of people experienced um, over a period of time started to kind of rupture the ability of people to go through um, the initiations that actually create mature humans. Um, And so there's this kind of the the crux of it for me feels like it's that part of being, especially part of being a human, because we have also, and this gets back to the arts, we have these layers of meaning. We have this capacity to go into this, this solidifying of the present moment of reality into, into a concentrated fragment which can be very beautiful and can actually yield a lot of learning when it's then brought back into the whole um but there's so that there's almost like this capacity to be with rupture um that when it's held in a healthy culture that understands initiation and understands ritual can actually be um it can be transformative and it can be generative um, but that it's a developmental capacity that needs 
it needs mature people holding it. Um, and so this, like, the kind of, I don't like saying weak link, but it's like the, the sort of this, the place where it kind of all gets stuck um, is when there's not a perception of support, um, not just a perception, like the, the people, the mature people physically are not there and the connection to the ecosystem, the connection to ancestors isn't there anymore. Um, and so suddenly th this, um, this charge that starts to build up, you know, as we experience loss, you know, as, as difficulty happens, as threat happens, this, this energetic charge, um, you know, can be these existential emotions of grief and rage and shame. Um, it doesn't have a way to be metabolized if the larger system is not felt. And so that, that for me is the crux of it is, um, within my ancestors, um, who are perpetuators of this culture, my sense is there was a time when that, um, that developmental support started to break down due to an overwhelming amount of, of trauma. Um, and it perpetuated over enough generations that suddenly we lost that developmental holding. Historian Paul Krauss. For Francis Bacon, man is superior to nature. But man is also alienated from nature. Nature is harsh and unforgiving and something that needs to be conquered. Rather than seeing man as part of the web of nature, Bacon sees man as existing in a natural empire. Okay, well, let's get to art before yeah. we wrap up here. <laughs> because art, you know, it depends how you define it. And it sounds like you, you have a very fluid uh, practice in combining different, different uh, methods and so, influences. But, yeah. So I, I think that actually ties in really well. Art, creativity, any kind of action that takes us out of that um, pushing business as usual need to try and control reality and, and, and almost try and like know what reality is. Um, Art is the medicine that actually allows us to metabolize charge. Um, it allows us to metabolize trauma. It takes takes that that intensity that's left in the system, and you know. And this goes all the way back to ritual. I mean, art for me is is sort of a, a tributary coming off from ritual that is still sort of consensually allowed in this reality when the direct communication with nature through ritual was, was silenced. Um, so it's still, it comes back to that wider river. Um, and I think the danger with art that I've definitely experienced 
in my own life is that if that wider river is forgotten, it can still, you know, it's whether you're, whether you're making art from the perspective of the acorn and the hard protective shell or whether there is a way to connect to the earth and to start to open and let the roots come out. Because as soon as the roots come out, then the entire ecosystem pours in, you know, and that's where, I mean, I think that's where the art that, and all forms of practice that um, can start to actually bring that sense of aliveness back. You know, that's where it lives in that opening where suddenly these, these energies can come in and it takes a, it takes a, a deep development of, um, you know, what Asian medicine calls hara, you know, that belly center um, and sense of um, rooted presence to be able to allow those energies to come through without kind of dissociating or getting possessed by them um, or identifying too much with them. So it's this balance, but it um, kind of that core that connecting with sort of the deepest uniqueness of, of, of felt sense and then opening up. Writer Rebecca Solnit. Hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act. Well, it's in, one of the quotes I use in reality is from Rebecca Solnit about the notion of uncertainty, you know, and that uh, we think we know what's going to happen, but we actually don't. And, and in a way, that's a good thing because uh, something new needs to happen or something really old needs to happen. Um, the oldness is not, you know, a fetishized oldness. It's like real oldness, <laughs> human. Uh, wisdom that's over generations and dec uh, uh, different places in the world has sort of come together. And we, we have, we have wisdom as, as a species. We also have folly, but. To tie it back, what you just said, that's actually just in the last couple of days been coming out for me of moving from the oldest part of yourself. Um, and, you know, and that the oldest parts of ourselves are rivers and fire and mushrooms and stone the story you shared of that elder who said it will take the same amount of time and that the question about, but we don't have that much time. There's something that happens in that deeper opening. When I talk about a portal opening, um, time changes and time is simultaneously the present moment. And it's also that entire flow of ancestry and element. And so the possibilities of, I mean, reality itself changes when suddenly the world opens in that way. Well, I think we'll end on that note. Uh, I think there's easily accessible um, examples if you work on the internet, uh, websites and those kinds of things. You're still finishing studies in a way. You, you're, you're in an early phase, but I... I want to talk to you now because uh, your ideas are so uh, mature. 
right? You, you've really thought these things through and, um, and you write well. So I, I encourage people to, to follow your work and to, to maybe listen to this episode again, you know, because I'm going to listen to it a few times because I like also the pace uh, that you spoke with me today um, because often one feels in a rush in an interview or a conversation. And, and to be honestly thinking and listening, um, it's actually the way I, I like to listen to radio and like to listen to audio is to feel the presence of the person uh, thinking and and kind of working through the acoustic space that we're sharing. So thanks for that. I really uh, enjoyed it. What you just said, um, there's something about the thickness of silence and that I feel like it's as close as that, as those moments where as the silence kind of thickens and stretches and opens, like that's the long body. That's that entire subtle energetic realm right there. Mm 